I V M. BQ Big Decisions, the Bloomberg Quint podcast that helps you make the right financial choices. Hello, and thanks so much for listening in. This is BQ Big Decisions, and I'm Alex Matthew. If you've gotten advice in the past about which mutual fund scheme to buy, well, I'm sure you've wondered what goes on behind the scenes. We're going to talk about just that on this episode of Big Decisions. I'm joined by Gautam Kalia, the head of investment solutions at Sher Khan, and hopefully he's going to take me through some of the tricks of the trade. Thank you so much for joining me, Gautam. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me. So, first of all, each advisory firm or individual that gives advice has their own methodology, right? Yes. Uh, How does that work? I think we just like to make things complicated for us, <laughs> so that's why everyone has their own style. Okay. Uh, but uh, you know, it's important to understand what style is uh, holistic mm-hmm. uh, and what style is relevant. Right. Uh, because some people just look at, let's say, a three-year fund performance okay. and say, okay, this is the best fund for you because it has uh, delivered the highest performance over the last three years. But then in that same breath, it's said very clearly that uh, the past performance of a mutual fund scheme is no guarantee of future res- returns. Exactly. And that's, uh, that's a big problem uh, for the market because... Um, most investors, as an investor also, the first question that you ask is, uh, you know, while buying a car, you ask, Kitna deti hai. Yeah. so here also while investing in a fund, you say, how much has it delivered? Yeah. Right. And you know that, uh, you know, uh, past performance is not, uh, is uh, not an indicator of future returns. Uh, it is an important indicator, however, mm. but mm. not the only indicator. Understood. Okay. So, but it is a lot more complicated than some people believe, than a lot of people believe. Yes, actually, it is. Uh, it can get really complicated if you do it right. Okay. Uh, and uh, if you do it comprehensively, it is a job in itself. And mm-hmm. there are, you know, departments of people dedicated to it in some of the larger institutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, in our company, we have, uh, you know, uh, three, four people looking at this full time. Okay. Uh, and uh, you can you can just do a quantitative assessment. Uh, which is basically numbers in an Excel and a lot of math, or you could do a qualitative assessment where you're looking at the process that the uh, fund house follows in uh, selecting each stock and investing in it. Is mm. it one man's decision? Is it 20 people involved? Mm. Is there someone else overlooking uh, the work? Is there someone else checking the work? Mm. Uh, do they have their risk function separate or mm. is the risk function reporting into uh, the fund manager team? Sure. You know, so uh, those, those are some of the nuances that people get into. So essentially it is about breaking it between qualitative and quantitative. So, but having said that, and the reason I want to have this conversation is perhaps um, there are people who are getting advice out there. There are people who are trying to do it on their own. Um, selecting a mutual fund scheme. Is there a checklist that you can follow? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, I think the the simplest way to look at the checklist is uh, go to an advisor you trust. Hmm. Uh, and uh, as long as you get the assurance or if the advisor can explain to you quite well uh, his uh, selection methodology, which sounds robust enough mm. uh, and comprehensive enough, then it makes sense to go for it. So this is the sure. simple way of, you know, just... 
uh, and, taking it. And perhaps uh, if you haven't done that, uh, and if you're listening to this conversation, you can go back to your advisor and, and understand whether or not they're doing uh, exactly. all of these things. Right? Um, because uh, your advisor may just be selling to you what uh, what is the most lucrative for him? Yeah. You know, maybe that is his fund selection methodology. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so you really need to understand once uh, what is the fund selection methodology. Sure. And once you understand, uh, some people are extremely transparent. Some yeah. people put it in black and white. Some distributors say that this is how we uh, say that these are the funds we like, for example. Uh, some people follow a black box method saying that, you know, this is our secret, this is our trade secret. We don't want anyone else to know how sure. we do it. Sure. Uh, so you have uh, different styles in the market uh, and fund selection can be extremely proprietary mm. uh, in terms of uh, what they do, what goes on. Um, so the basic checklist that you can go with, which is the next level mm. beyond just the simple way mm. is to understand whether there is a qualitative approach and a quantitative approach, mm. or is is it just one or the other? Okay. Right. Most people, uh, follow just the quantitative approach because it's easier. Okay. You just, uh, you know, take subscription of a software that gives you the data of mm. across funds. And then you use that data a particular way you, model it, you uh, run a few formulae through it, and you know you track that data to be able to uh, evaluate and assess. Sure. So that's the uh, mathematical analytical way to do it. Okay. Uh, but some people take the time and effort in meeting the fund house, uh, understanding the investment process. Mm. Uh, what their thesis is, how they're reading the market, all of that. Exactly. And looking at the corporate governance aspect of it as well. Mm. I mean, is the fund house true to label? If if I'm saying I'm investing in a particular theme, am mm. I? what is my definition of that theme? Okay. I can say I'm investing in infrastructure, for sure. example, which sure. is a very extremely common uh, you know, uh, example to use that there are a lot of fund houses that say that we are investing in infrastructure mm. and they are also investing in banks because okay. their definition of infrastructure includes banks. Okay. Right. Because banks fund okay. these infrastructure companies. But that's, that's a little loose, isn't it? So exactly. So you need to know what you're getting into, uh -huh. right? So if you call it a banking and infrastructure fund or your, uh, your, uh, your definition of infrastructure is a much more expanded version. Mm. Uh, are you communicating that clearly to uh, your, your customer? Yeah. Right. Uh, that is one uh, assessment, one check. The other check you could look at is uh, seeing whether the risk function works independently. Do they even have a risk function? Okay. The fund house. What does that mean? So a risk function is uh, so okay. So I'll try not to get too technical here, mm. but all fund managers work on a budget, mm. a risk budget, saying okay. that you can't take more risk than X. Okay. Right. And the way you are talking about uh, returns, that way you can mathematically measure risk. Okay. And you can't cross a particular budget. Okay. Uh, but sometimes you end up crossing the budget because okay. of market movement. But how do you come to know that? Uh, the investor or the... The investor or... In oh, you mean the, the distributor? Yeah. Because uh, the the data can tell you if when there is a spike in volatility, which ah. is the measure of risk. Understood. And is there a function internally which is independent that evaluates this on an ongoing basis ah. and raises a red flag saying that, you know, you are, you've been breaching your risk budget for the last two weeks. Okay. We understand that the market is much more volatile now, but you, you need to reduce your risk a little Understood. bit. Understood. Understood. Right? Okay. So do you work with the risk budget? Because... I can give you a higher return by taking more risk. Okay. I mean, you can always double your money by going 
uh by going gambling but equally yeah you could lose you could lose all your money exactly. as well exactly so you know that uh, the amount of risk you're taking is also extremely important especially for long term investment hmm. because uh, if i take short term risk and i'm able to deliver out performance sooner or later that risk will catch up to me and uh, you know reflect on my longer term performance sure and people may not be able to understand or recognize that Understood. so it's a way of protecting our clients and investors mm. uh, that the distributor's job or the risk, uh, the investment advisor job becomes that much more important as far as fund selection is concerned right. so that becomes the qualitative aspect that becomes a corporate governance aspect is the risk team reporting into the fund management team or do they have their own vertical mm. because essentially if my boss is the same guy i'm policing mm. uh you know uh, there is <laughs> it's not uh, very clear then mm. i can get influenced very easily Understood. Uh, you know so so those are some of the qualitative aspects people look at uh some people some distributors even go to the extent to see and evaluate the it infrastructure in place okay to see whether the it is secure is it on the cloud is it offline completely mm. how protected is it what is their ability to make trades during dif- different uh, unusual market conditions mm. you know so those are the kind of uh, who's managing the cash right. you know where is the custody of the money wow so right? so there are several aspects to this that 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 go beyond the functioning of a particular mutual fund scheme yes and it's not just looking at you know the last one year performance yeah. right oh this is the top performing fund so might as well so qualitative quantitative this was the qualitative aspect on yeah. the quantitative aspect most uh, distributors worth their salt uh look at at least rolling returns you know okay. they they don't look at just uh, uh point to point returns which is first jan to first jan uh, you know first jan 2019 to first jan 2020 mm. is is point to point mm. right depending on your luck on that day mm. your return could be Different, 10% yeah. or 15% right so, so people look at rolling return analysis uh, look at obviously risk adjusted return measures look at batting averages mm. look at other statistical measures to see what is the consistency of delivery you know mm. so that an investor investing on the 10th of a month versus the investor investing on the 15th of a month the return differential is not too high right uh, you know uh, so Uh, or investing in the first half of the year second half of the year first half of the month second half of the month I so just... you, different time period so that becomes another way to uh, evaluate and assess okay um, now we've take we've taken our listeners through quite a few um of the things that um a firm looks at when they're choosing a mutual fund scheme and you know the way that i see this and the way that i hear this is that a lot of these are specialized and you would obviously not be able to do this as an individual but having said that are there still things that an individual can look at when they're looking at a mutual fund scheme um, or if their advisors are saying hey you know what this is a list of five schemes that you need to consider yes uh, i think the the easiest thing to do is ask the advisor what is his research process mm-hmm. uh and what are the things that is taken into account and if they cover qualitative and quantitative measures then you know at least that there is a more robust approach yeah. methodology being used sure. and if you can enumerate a few of those examples and if they are covered in some of the points that i've made then yeah. yes i think uh, that is a very easy way to uh, kind of understand and get yourself that reassurance that you know fund selection is good yeah. because you may end up investing in funds that are not the best performing funds hmm. 
you may end up investing in funds that will not necessarily give you the best performance have you gotten questions like that oh yes all the time where you know funds uh, where investors ask us oh you are recommending this fund but this fund is not even in the top performing mm. funds you know and the objective really of the uh, research process is to make sure that you uh, give maybe the top quartile performance funds in the future sure. which are able to give at least better than market better than category mm. uh, performance over the long term mm. you know the research objective is never to tell you okay if you invest in this fund today 3 years down the line this is going to be the best performing fund because the best performing fund is not what the objective is the objective is to get a top quartile fund yeah if you're able to get a top quartile fund then you've done your job yeah really and uh, there you know if you look at if you go to some of the online resources where uh, fund selection is uh, not a robust process uh, and then you look at their ratings and then come back to your distributor saying are that distributor uh, that site is telling me yeah. it's a five star rated fund mm. <clears throat> really look at how is it given it a five star sure. you know because some of them just look at one year performance and okay. say okay best performer for the last year this is that's why it's a five star yeah. you know? but this is there's much more going on so uh, you know this is these are some of the factors that uh, one should look at uh, and also on the debt side you know debt side the the process can be completely different because also. debt debt side you could look at uh, obviously the kind of risk you are taking because some funds are delivering let's say 1% more hmm. now they they could be delivering that 1% more because of fund manager expertise hmm. but they could also be delivering that because of the higher credit risk they are taking okay so or they, the they, higher market risk they are they're taking. buying uh, papers basically debt that is lower rated and therefore higher risk correct uh, they are buying uh debt that is lower rated they are buying debt that is uh less collateralized or lower in the pecking order mm. in terms of prepayability in yeah. term you know so uh you, those are th- those are smart ways where uh fund managers can deliver higher returns mm. and some fund houses are very proud of their selection methodology and selecting some debt papers mm. where they are able to squeeze out that half a percent 1% more return for their investors right. by taking this perceived higher risk mm. you know uh, so really it becomes a matter of a judgment call to see so it should be a, a well not necessarily a red flag but it should essentially be something that you should be looking at if somebody is saying hey here's this debt mutual fund that's giving you 2 percentage points or 1 percentage point more than everybody else exactly because naturally whenever you hear that as an investor you believe that oh it's the fund manager and he's done a fantastic job sure. and that's why the fund is delivering mm. uh, you know higher return mm. it is definitely part of the reason but that's not the only reason is that the only thing you're looking at in terms of the risk uh yeah you look at uh, in terms of the credit risk you also look at the market risk okay. and market risk depends on the maturity of the papers how long are the papers uh, when are the papers maturing are oh. they maturing in a year 3 year 5 year uh 30 years you know because you have government papers uh, that. with that kind of maturity you have perpetual bonds yeah you have right? some so, corporate bonds that run in perpetuity yeah right? so you have perpetual bonds and perpetual bonds have their own risks yeah uh, you know which uh, some regulations have obviously tried to uh, reduce but those are some things that uh, you don't ever get your capital back <laughs> no yeah so unless you sell them in the secondary yeah. market but yes uh, that's that's true uh, so you look at that you look uh, 
at the end of the day obviously your advisor uh, will tell you about taxation right uh, but uh, you know taxation also impacts the the fund selection mm. sometimes but that is not from a research perspective that is more from a investor perspective yeah you should know the tax incidence on everything that you invest in. exactly so, all right so i think that more or less covers look i don't know if um, an individual out there is going to be able to take this and and run with it but perhaps it's it's going to help them when they approach their investment advice the next time right yes and at least it gives you an appreciation of uh really the kind of work that is involved in fund selection and fund selection is not really you know the advisor's job yeah it's not the investor's job fund selection is the job of the research department of that advisor sure or that distributor sure. right so that and that's what i keep telling my team as well when they talk to clients that you know it's not your ownership to select the best funds for the client your uh, job is to make sure that you're telling the right research selected fund mm. for the client depending on the client's requirements right so that interaction is uh, this fund selection part is so technical that it's someone else's job entirely you know all right well i think that uh, more or less covers the topic for this edition of pq big decisions it's been a pleasure gautam thanks alex thanks for having me to you dear listener thank you so much for joining me on this conversation of pq big decisions i hope this helped you out If you're looking for more content in the personal finance space, you'll find it on the website bloombergquin.com and you can watch this space for a lot more. This is Alex Matthews signing off. Have a great weekend. If you enjoyed Big Decisions, check out some other podcasts on the IVM Podcast Network. You can check out Paisa Vaisa hosted by Anupam Gupta, Advertising is Dead hosted by Varun Dugirala, The Ronnie Screwwala Podcast hosted by Ronnie Screwwala or Cyrus Says hosted by Cyrus Procha. These shows are available on the IBM Podcast website, app, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Janice, what do you think couples did before TV was invented? I don't know. Go for walks on the beach, long drives, fancy dinners, have more sex, maybe. But what did we do when we decided to move in together? We debated between the Chromecast and the Fire Stick. We gave up on sleeping early so we could stay up watching true crime shows. We got ourselves three cat babies and basically became the cutest couch potatoes around. Okay then. <laughs> In case you guys still haven't got it, we are a TV crazy, Netflix loving, binge watching Mr. and Mrs. I'm Anirudh Kuha. I'm Janice Sequeira. And if like us you snort TV for breakfast, lunch and dinner, this is the podcast for you. Tune in every Thursday on the IBM podcast app or wherever it is that you get your podcast from. This is Mr. and Mrs. Binge Watch. I hope you enjoyed that show. We'd like to thank our sponsors on the network this week. Thank you HDFC Life for coming on board. Also would like to thank Storytel for continuing the long-time advertising that they've been doing with us. And if you have a brand and you'd like to advertise with us, please send us an email. We'd love to talk to you. And let me tell you a couple of things that you should check out this week. On State of Anarchy, Humsini talks about the Brazil-India relationship. On Agla Station Adulthood, Ayushi and Ritasha talk about pleasure, sex, and much more. On a nostalgia-laden episode of the Geek Fruit podcast, Tejas and Dinkar go back to the franchise with the Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies and talk about how they hold up today, 12 years after the last movie came out. On our Kannada podcast, Thalle Arate, scholar Avinash Ambale combines neuroscience, mathematical logic, and the cutting edge of computer science to explain the history of machine vision to Pawan and Surya. On Tapri Tales, Madhuri weaves a tale around a conversation between three friends. Thanks and keep listening.